What's up, motorheads? It's time for F1 Break Check. This is where we talk about all things Formula One history, technology, and debate the latest happenings in the circus we all love called F1. This week, we're talking about Canada. We're going to be talking about the Circuit de Gilles Villeneuve and its history. We're going to be talking about ground effects in the car floor in our tech corner. We're going to be talking about the wet qualifying session and the constantly changing track conditions. We're going to take and talk about Verstappen's 41st win, tying our Yurton Senate, and how that fits into the history of Formula One. We're going to talk about Fernando Alonso's bounce back on the podium. We're going to take and talk about Hamilton and the Mercedes updates. Talk about Russell's crash, Ferrari's significant changes, Norris's unsportsmanlike penalty, and much, much more. With me, as always, is my co-host, Corey Brune. Corey, how are you doing today? Fantastic, as always. So, had a great time last Friday night hanging out at Industrial Cigars. Uh, got to smoke some really fine cigars and got to enjoy some great company with yourself. Had some really nice cigars and just had a, a generally good time. It's really just a great place to be. The atmosphere there is just really good. Everybody's real welcoming. Everybody's you know, comes up, shakes your hand, says hello, talks to you. Unlike a lot of other cigar bars where... You just sit, smoke, and look down. <laughs> you know, the, the cigars there are, I haven't had a bad, well, no, I've had one bad one. Yeah. We won't mention the name of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our favorite cigar by, by far there is the Byron. Yes, absolutely. But uh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic cigars, but they're a little yeah. pricey. They're definitely more of a celebration, special occasion type cigar. They're not a, an everyday cigar unless you're like a, a, a big time baller or something. Exactly. Yes. They range from $28 up to, I've seen them as expensive as $42 per stick. Yeah. It's definitely sitting down with some Bushmills 21 yes. and a nice Byron. Sit down a couple hours. Yep. Have some good conversations and, and that's it. But you know, they have great other cigars there too. The ones much that we more had moderately priced. Yeah, exactly. The ones we had on Friday. What, do you remember their name? I don't. I don't remember their name. It was called the Crux, but I forget which uh, particular what the name of the particular style was. But uh, I had a beautiful blue band on it and everything. So if you're uh, in the area of Frisco, Texas, uh, by all means, stop by Industrial Cigars and uh, give them a shout. Ask them for uh, the Crux cigars friendly staff there will take point you in the right direction so let's jump into it all right let's talk about the circuit first so we were in canada so we're at circuit gilles villeneuve named for the, the late great ferrari driver gilles villeneuve first held in 1978 which and it was actually won by the hometown hero gilles villeneuve permanently cemented its place in formula one lore and on the formula one calendar it's been held uh, in Canada almost nonstop the last 30 years with the COVID years being some, one of the only notable exceptions when the race was missed due to protocols and things like that. So been in the sight of some absolutely mega fantastic races in the past, very high speed straightaways with very low speed corners and everything, and also mostly for the wall of champions. <laughs> <laughs> So for those of you who don't know, the Wall of Champions is the wall that's on the outside of Turn 13, which has been the site of many a number of shunts in the past, And but it's got its name as the Wall of Champions because not only has it taken out some of the rookie drivers, inexperienced drivers, but even some of the greatest names in Formula One 
while leading the race have slammed into that wall. It's taken out the greats like Michael Schumacher, Ayrton Senna, and Damon Hill. So <laughs> just an all-around fantastic circuit. Uh, Corey, what do you think of, you know, our, our time spent here in Canada? Really like the, the track. It's, it's very technical. And like you said, uh, the Wall of Champions it claims a couple of victims. <laughs> 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 and even Verstappen, you know, he, he came very close hitting that that wall as well he was laughing about it I, th I think he was so far up ahead at, at that point anyway that even if he did crash he probably still would have won anyway so <laughs> he was still okay but it, it was really funny that to, to see his reaction there and just how calm he was oh, i almost i almost crashed haha <laughs> okay he almost crashed at 140 miles an hour i love this track we don't see as many track limit violations as what we would see in say austria but it's mm -hmm. still a fantastic track wall of champions again is just it has a good name for a reason <laughs> <laughs> yep absolutely so all right so let's talk tech corner here for this week we're going to take we're going to be talking uh, about the uh, ground effects and the car floor uh, there's been a lot made especially since monaco about the the new floors formula one cars uh not a lot of people are real familiar with the floors because that's one of the parts of the car that is not seen very much and in some cases ever the floor of the car is just like what it says it is the bottom part of the car that takes and is closest to the track last year they changed the rules and reinstated the ground effects for the cars to take and help improve racing let's talk a little bit about the history of the ground effects in the 70s lotus famously and then followed by everybody else created the first ground effects car which used a set of tunnels that went underneath the cars and by creating those tunnels it takes and creates a low pressure area underneath the car which actually sucks the car down to the ground creating more downforce for the cars to go around the corners one of the nice things about the ground effects is they don't have the aerodynamic drag like the wings do so therefore you could take the bigger the tunnel that you could take and build underneath the car the more low pressure that you could create and therefore the more downforce you could create in the corners but then when you were going through the straightaways you didn't have that aerodynamic drag penalty that you do from the wings unlike Today's ground effects cars, back then, the cars were even allowed to run what they referred to as skirts along the outside edge of the car, which literally would create a seal. So they would have a skirt that would drop down from the bottom of the floor all the way down to the ground, and it would literally seal off the bottom of the sides of the car. So literally the only way the air could enter would be from the front and exit through the back. This made absolutely enormous quantities of downforce, but the one penalty was is that if the skirts broke, which they often did during the race, it would make the cars incredibly unstable. So how does that differ from today's cars? Well, today's cars, for one thing, there are rules about the size of the ground effects tunnels. And there's also, not just in the general width of the tunnels themselves, but also in the entry and exit sizes as well. Several of the teams have come up with some pretty creative solutions in how they are able to channel the air going into the tunnels and how they're having it exit from the tunnels to take and maximize the airflow both 
through the ground effects tunnels and then also as it exits out into the diffuser and over the beam wing. So I always had a question about this. Yes. What effects does this have on Spiradeg? How does that work? Okay, so the original ground effects, it had a very minimal effect on tire degradation. So, mm -hmm. but whereas nowadays, it depending upon the circuit, it can take in anywhere, it's slightly more degradation now as opposed to the flat bottom floors that they were using two years ago. But depending on a slower, more curved, on a track with more curves, such like Hungary, I believe that the problem is, is they do, because when you take the extra downforce that's created by the car, along with usually races like Hungary are very, very hot races. And because they are such minimal in the way of straightaways and a lot more curves and turns, tire degradation goes up quite significantly. That's why at, at certain tracks like Hungary, at a lot of tracks like Hungary, you know, very tight tracks, the tire degradation becomes much more of an issue and becomes much more of a story for the weekend. There's actually five tires in the Pirelli range. And next weekend for Austria, we're going to take, we're going to talk about tires in Tech Corner. So I'm not going to go into a great bit of detail, but there, but generally there are five tires in the range that go all the way from truly hard tires all the way down to super, super soft. And each weekend, based upon weather and different conditions of the track, Pirelli will choose three of those tires in that five-tire range and designate them as the soft, the medium, and the hard. But we'll talk more about that next time when we do the Tech Corner for Austria. So the last so, thing I wanted to talk about, though, is the, the plank. Uh, some people have asked, what is the thing running down the middle of the car? And what's its purpose? And because this all ties back into the ground effects and the car floor, I thought I would touch on it real quick. So what that plank is, is it is a piece of laminated, super, super hard wood. Believe it or not, you've got these Formula One cars that are made all out of carbon fiber, and they have a piece of wood stuck to the bottom of them. And the front and the back edges have titanium plates on them. And what these planks are for is they are mandated by Formula One and the FIA so that the cars have to run at a specific ride height. And if the plank is worn down too much during the race or during qualifying, the car can actually be disqualified because they are considered to have had an unfair advantage because they're able to run the car at a much lower ride height. It's been a number of years since we've seen it, but we've actually seen cars actually be disqualified. Most notably in 1994, Michael Schumacher was disqualified from a race because his plank was worn down too much. His results were thrown out and basically the car was disqualified. So that's the reason why the planks exist and why they're still used even today with the ground effects. Last year, when we saw a lot of the problems with the porpoising of the cars because of the newly implemented ground effects, that's what was actually hitting the ground and causing the cars to bounce back up was that hard piece of wood with, but they also have the titanium skid plates on that in order to keep them from wearing down. And that's what would happen is, and those were the sparks that you would see was those titanium skid plates hitting the asphalt. And because it was under such force, it would cause those sparks that, which uh, they look spectacular, but it's a very much a bad thing. You walk through what qualifying and. Oh my gosh. The 
Okay. Fun there. <laughs> yes. Well, anytime we get wet weather, it always makes things very interesting because any kind of tire strategy for qualifying immediately goes out the window because now you've got the wet track. Uh, so it's, you know, it's usually either intermediates or full wets. It, it was definitely uh, made for very, very interesting time on the circuit. But yeah, I love, I love wet qualifying. I love wet races. It's often been said that wet weather uh, and changing conditions were always the great equalizer because you could have drivers that were in inferior machinery, but because they were so talented and so good at finding grip in the wet, that oftentimes it would much more display the driver's talent as opposed to the how good the car was. Yeah, I always like to see wet, not only qualifying, but I, I love wet races as well. Like you said, you just never know exactly who's going to win because a lot of times they crash out. So, yeah, I don't like to see that aspect, but I do like to see people that typically don't get higher in the race, people that are typically further down in, in the rankings, really be elevated all the way through the race. So much more fun to watch. Yes, absolutely. So, so talking Verstappen's 41st win, so he was up again six seconds, I think, eight seconds, something like that, a, a very commanding lead that he's had pretty much throughout all of the last several races at the very least he has led the last three races even yep wire to wire yeah exactly even putting in tire changes and everything like that he's so far ahead that he can do a tire change and still not get passed he's still Mm -hmm. that much further ahead that he's able to to take even tire changes and not have that affect his placing. So it's just an amazing drive, amazing car, and amazing strategy as well. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Verstappen and, and Red Bull as a whole right now is just, I know we sound like a broken record, but they are just, they're on another level right now. And they just continue to refine that car. And Verstappen continues to refine his driving so much that Verstappen and everybody else right now, unfortunately, a lot of people have complained that, yeah, it's getting kind of boring and everything with Verstappen, you know, winning everything, Red Bull dominating so much. But folks, let's look back, you know, not counting last year, let's look back three or four, seven years ago, the last seven, eight years, who's been dominating? Mercedes. And everybody complained about it then. The entire history of Formula One is there's always been years or span of years, you know, two, three, four years where one team will just be, they will crack the code in building the car. They will have one of the, if not the best driver in that car, and they just dominate. And we've seen that throughout the entire history of Formula One. But the thing is, though, is that it's not a permanent thing. You're going to see changes And as the rules change, as the drivers change, because drivers come and go, the cars change, development changes, we're going to have new engine rules in a couple of years, which is going to change the cars significantly. 
Um, we've got rumblings from the FIA, which we didn't talk about in the rundown. I think we're going to table until next week in Austria, but there's been some rumblings about the cars have become too big. They've become too heavy. So there might be rule changes coming to lighten the cars up and make them a little smaller again. For the people who are complaining, oh, it's gotten boring. It's gotten boring. Relax. Let Verstappen and so yes, Verstappen and Red Bull are dominating. But like we talked about at the top of the show, the rest of the field is wide open. And so it still makes, you know, so Verstappen may run away with the race, but the rest of the pecking order, it's a really interesting racing. And like you said, we even covered this last week too in Spain, but just relax. <laughs> it's going to be there. <laughs> Look at Lewis. So Hamilton's winning seven years in a row and a commanding win as well. I'll never forget. He got a huge lead that he had a flat tire. And mm -hmm. he still won the race. At Silverstone. Verstappen was, yeah, it was at Silverstone. Thank you. He was still in that much of a lead. Verstappen was was catching up, but he didn't. Nope. Look at Hamilton, even before Hamilton, look at Vettel. Everybody was belly aching about Vettel winning all the time. Mm -hmm. It happened. And the thing is, look at F1, look at the race, and just really look at how not only from a technology aspect, but also look at how these drivers are driving. Don't look at it as, oh, well, Verstappen's winning again. Look at it as, wow, what a fantastic drive this guy's doing. See what he's doing and, and understanding the strategies behind that. Don't just look at, oh, this person's winning again, because yeah. that's, that's F1. Yes, that's part of the whole circus. But it's funny that you brought up uh, Lewis's flat tire at Silverstone and him still able to win the race. Um, because, once again, Verstappen won the race, but early on in the race, he actually hit a bird and had a dead bird stuck in his brake duct for most of the race <laughs> and right. still was able to win by a significant margin. Yeah. I completely <laughs> forgot about the dead bird. That's, that's great. I mean, they came into the pits for his first tire change and they tried to get it out. Couldn't do it, you know, in a, in a quick enough manner that they just slapped a new tire on there and sent him back out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Oh, it was awesome. Verstappen stack up against Senna, do you think? Senna did basically what Verstappen did, but in less amount of races. So what, what are your thoughts around that? Well, that's exactly how I feel because it took Verstappen 10 more races to equal up to Senna's record of 41 wins. The thing was though, is that Senna did it, like you said, Senna did it, it oftentimes in inferior equipment. Also Senna, and, I, and I'm not going to make it any bones about the fact that as I still to this day think that we have yet to see an equal to Senna. Because when Senna was in the car, he was just sublime, especially we were talking about wet weather. In the rain, he could find the grip in absolutely diabolically wet conditions. He could still find grip that other drivers just couldn't do. Watching Senna when he was performing, he was just magical. Now, don't get me wrong. What Verstappen's doing is amazing, and it takes, and it's the whole debate about, oh, well, you know, okay, so what, that he's winning all these races, he has the absolute best car. 
Well, I guarantee you, you put a mediocre driver in the absolute best car, and he's not going to be winning. He's not winning 41 races. It takes the combination of a top 1% driver in a top 1% car to be able to win races. But the one other thing, though, that Verstappen has that Senna did not, Senna was in the era of massive or very unpredictable reliability, even among the best cars. Firmly believe that had Senna been driving in today's cars, he would have won way more races than what he did because Senna had so many DNFs where the cars just spectacularly failed. It was either uh, an engine problem or some other transmission problem or some other mechanical issue that forced him to retire the car or limp home that for stopping because of the current rules in F1 and the fact that they have to have up and down the grid, they have to have a certain level of reliability in order to be able to compete that I think that if Senna had competed today, he would have won many more races because of that. I think we've talked about before in the past, things like back when, when Senna was racing, they had qualifying engines, they had race engines, and oftentimes those race engines were running on such a razor-sharp edge and were so finely tuned that we saw a lot more engine failures and transmission failures back in Senna's era. And because of that, like I said a, a few minutes ago, Senna had a lot more retirements due to those mechanical issues. So I, I definitely think Verstappen deserves every accolade that he gets. But I still think he has a little ways to go before he's going to be able to take equal Senna in my eyes. Yeah, a little bit longer, right? Yes, just a little bit. If he gets up, definitely, especially at the, at the clip that he's winning races right now, the next target is Vettel, which he'll get yep. pretty quickly. And I, went, I don't remember the exact stat. But I believe that Verstappen will surpass Vettel. He's two away from, because Vettel either had, I think it was either 44 or 45 wins in his career. And Verstappen will have done it. I believe the stat is, and I will double check that. We'll talk about it next week for Austria. But if Verstappen surpasses Vettel, he will have done it in fewer races than Vettel. And that will definitely start putting him in that super elite category. But the next target is Alon Prost. And if Verstappen continues on the pace that he is this year, there's a very good chance that he will surpass Prost next year. And if he does so, I believe that he will still have done it in fewer races than what it took Alon Prost to win 52 races. And if he manages to do that, then yes, I'm going to put him, it's going to basically be Senna and Verstappen 1A and 1B. It's just, that's just how good Verstappen has become. Yeah, he's amazing. And even if you're not a Verstappen fan or not a fan of Red Bull, still just watching him race and, and watching his techniques and, and the way that he's able to, to get so much further ahead just is phenomenal and really just helps you appreciate the, the sport that much more. So switching gears and talking about Fernando, Alonso now has bounced back. He's now on the podium. He got second place. And again, again, it's like we talked about last week for Spain is I definitely think that Aston Martin is definitely not there yet, but they are definitely closing the gap because both Fernando and Lance 
both had excellent weekends. The car looked really, really strong. It looked really, really fast. Yeah, I definitely think that Aston Martin is closing that gap and they're closing it quickly. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his. I love to see him get up higher in the podiums. I just like watching man race. (laughs) Yes. You know, and it's like we talked about last week, though. Aston Martin is definitely closing that gap, but it's because they have grown so fast. They're still going to have this year and possibly next year, they're still going to have those weekends where they're going to be not quite there. The car's going to be there. It's just the team is going through those growing pains and they're just going to have, they're going to have off weekends. Just because they might have one bad weekend, I guarantee you the following weekend they're going to bounce back and they're going to bounce back quick. He's just such a tremendous driver that he's going to find a way to win, especially from his frustrations of last year with Alpine. He's actually having a good time, and you can see that he's having a great time racing again. Oh, yeah, you can tell. He's just Yes, he is just, he's so much fun to watch because he is out there. He's so rejuvenated after, you know, the, yeah. the bad years with McLaren and then taking the two years off where he took and went and did a bunch of other stuff outside of Formula One, you know, raced the Indy 500, raced at Le Mans, did all kinds of other racing outside of Formula One and then came back totally rejuvenated. Yeah, the two years at Alpine were kind of a little tough. I think that he's definitely much more buoyant now with Aston Martin. That's a great word. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about Hamilton. He got third. Mercedes is actually looking better now. They They are are not so much better anymore. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're they're actually challenging now. Yes. Uh, It looks like they're they're starting to close the gap a little bit on on Aston Martin. We'll talk about Russell's crash next, but really Hamilton's looking fantastic. We said on our last podcast how much better he looks like as a person, he doesn't look like he's the way the world is on him. He actually looks like he's having, just like Fernando, right? He looks like he's actually having fun racing versus it's a tour. It's a job. He actually looks like he's having fun. What are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. No, I totally agree that he looks like he's another one of those drivers. that's very buoyant right now. (laughs) The updates that Mercedes have made to the car, Mercedes realized pretty quickly that they had gone in the wrong direction with the new rule changes. And it made it very hard for them to capitalize on their refinements last season, just trying to fix the porpoising issue. But this year with the new updates that they've made to the car, they knew that they went in the wrong direction. They righted the ship. They've made the, the proper corrections that they needed to to the car, and they've still got some additional refinements that they're going to bring. I think it's either at Austria or at Silverstone. They've got another pretty large upgrade slated for the car that they're saying is quite significant. So, And, and as long as those improvements continue to come fast and come often, I think we're going to see a much more competitive Hamilton and Russell. Exactly. We were, you know, mentioned at the beginning, Russell looked very competitive too, but he just made a minor little mistake, slammed into the wall, broke the, you know, the suspension. They didn't realize the suspension was broken right away, but he limps it back to the, the pits. They take, they change out the tire, send him back in. He was able to run uh, a few more laps before the, you know, the, the suspension completely broke and they had to bring him back in and, and you know, shut it down for the, for the day. The same corner that got so many people in the past got mm-hmm. almost got, got Verstappen. <laughs> yes, yeah, and uh, I, th- I believe even Fernando 
at one point came really, really close to hitting that. I mean, he, it's like you could have slipped, you know, maybe two or three sheets of paper between his wheel <laughs> and the wall when he came, took and came around. Uh, I think right. it was a lap three or four is when that came along. And they were even talking about that in the, the driver's room after the race when they were waiting for the podium ceremony they were even talking about you know how close he came to 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 really (laughs) changing his fortunes for the day yeah (laughs) exactly right (laughs) talking about ferrari oh ferrari but hey this time they're actually looking good i'm yeah i'm not going to complain not going to cry over this race they actually look no Yes. The thing is, is with Ferrari this year, they are consistently inconsistent. Unlike what we were talking about with Aston Martin, because they are growing and because of the significant investments being made in the team, they're having those growing pains. Ferrari should not be having growing pains. They should not be this inconsistent. (laughs) In the grand scheme of things, though, no, they had a much, much better weekend. Qualifying was much better. End results were much better. They looked much more like a team that should be competing at the sharp end of the grid, not mired in the midfield. Exactly. And they got the strategy right, finally, which it's funny because you you watch them and you have two great racers. Yep. They, as long as they get the strategy right, they can be up in the top tier. Yes. They had so many problems of getting the strategy wrong or getting the tires wrong or whatever, right? They, they just have or so getting many the setup problems. wrong. Setup wrong. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's so many, they are their own worst enemy. Yes. In a lot of cases, they seem yeah. to be. Exactly. Because I did want to uh, bring up the dust up over Leclerc's helmet. Leclerc had, for you know, those of you who don't know, Leclerc had a special tribute helmet before. Gilles Villeneuve, because again, Gilles Villeneuve, one of those mythical drivers that for Ferrari, they're talked about in the same breath as Nuvolari and Bongio and others. So he took me, had a helmet created for this weekend in Canada uh, that was very uh, reminiscent of Gilles Villeneuve's iconic helmet. And the Villeneuve family apparently was not contacted about it. And they got quite up in arms over it and everything. I do have to give props to Leclerc that as soon as he found out about it, he contacted the Villeneuve family. Actually, it's uh, Gilles Villeneuve's daughter actually runs the image and likeness uh, part of the family business around Gilles. And I think she even does it for Jacques as well. As soon as he contacted them, he had them out to the track for qualifying and everything else, and all was forgiven, and he was allowed to continue on uh, for the weekend. So so just kind of get your thoughts on it. You know, what do you think about the whole tribute helmets and getting permission from the families and things like that? Do you think the Phil New family had the right to, to be upset about it? Yeah, I do, honestly. It takes a phone call, just like Leclerc did. It doesn't take yeah. long. Show them that respect. Hey, I want to do this. Worst thing is they'll say no and you move on. Give them that respect of this is what I want to do. This is why I want to do it. Whatever. He did it eventually. I think that that's something you should do just out of courtesy at the very least, especially if it's something that you're wanting to do for a memorial or as a tribute, definitely contact them. Absolutely. I agree completely. Moving forward on to our next 
topic going and talking about Norris's unsportsmanlike. His oh my God. <laughs> well, first of all, I want to hear your thoughts on it. It's the FIA being the FIA. <laughs> I'm glad you said that because that is exactly how I saw it as well, is this is probably in the history of dumb penalties handled down by the sporting regs. This is up there among one of the dumbest. Norris is probably one of the most fair and probably one of the I don't even know what the word I'm looking for here is, but he is literally the antithesis of sportsmanlike. He is so good at giving other drivers room. It's not like he's out there, you know, banging wheels every weekend and stuff. But most of the time when there's an incident that involves Norris, it's usually not Norris who's instigating the incident. Right. It's very rare that he gets overzealous. So for them to hand down an unsportsmanlike penalty against Norris is just, it's a joke. And even it at is. the end of it, Norris was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> no. To be fair, there's several other drivers that I can name right now that could deserve that penalty easily almost every weekend. Yes. North? North. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, yeah. Honestly, when I first saw that, I had to reread it twice because I, I thought that Norris was, that something happened to Norris. That Not that he was getting a penalty. I thought that something happened to him. So I yeah. had to read it a couple times. What? <laughs> Where's this coming from? Yeah. Oh, thank you, IFIA. You never disappoint. No, absolutely not. <laughs> All right. So last thing that we're going to talk about today is we're going to take and talk about Hulkenberg's and, and the Haas's great weekend. So Hulkenberg took, had an absolutely brilliant qualifying, unfortunately had a subsequent penalty that dropped him back in the order. He qualifies second, is on the front row, first time ever in his career, and then takes and gets dropped back. I think it was a five-place grid penalty. At the end of the day, had a really, really good run of late. Haas has looked really, really strong. They have definitely looked on par with most of the other midfield teams. And they've had a great run of race qualifying and so-so race results, mostly because the car seems to, for lack of a better term, eat its tires, and so, which causes a drop-off uh, during the races. So, your thoughts? Just like you were saying, Haas is, is really starting to impress. Where previous years, let's say, what, three or four years ago, they, they had both cars taken out of the race because the mechanics didn't put on the tires right. And they didn't <laughs> get out of the pit. So, a long ways away from that. But now we're actually seeing them. Not only do they have good drivers that I mean, K-Mag is fantastic. Hulkenberg obviously is, is awesome to, to watch and they are qualifying really well, really well. Now we just need to translate that from qualifying and get into that good race pace to where they can hold that race pace and hopefully they can get into midfield, maybe even a little bit higher. Yep. Absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, Gunther Steiner, in addition to being a fantastic character and being a fantastic ambassador for Formula One, I think he has done an absolutely magnificent job with taking the investments from Carl Haas and with the new infusion of money from MoneyGram and a couple of the other American sponsors that have jumped on board. He has done just an absolutely fantastic job of riding the ship. 
I think that's why so many people love him too. That and his brutal honesty. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think, that, but I think that uh, the brutal honesty is the exact reason why he is such a great ambassador for the sport. That is such a great point. So you want to talk through Austria? Yeah. So looking forward to uh, our next race. We're going to be at the Osterring in Austria. This is going to be uh, another sprint shootout and sprint race weekend, which we've already discussed earlier this year about how much I really don't like the latest sprint format. Looking forward to the Austrian Grand Prix at the Osterring in Austria. This is going to be another sprint shootout and sprint race weekend. Uh, this is also Red Bull's home race. Austria is one of those, you know, truly great old world circuits. Lots of history there. So it's going to be, you know, a very uh, fun and exciting weekend. It always is, especially with Red Bull. So it's, yes. it's going to be a great race. Okay, motorheads, it's time to pack up the garage. If you enjoyed this or any other episodes of F1 Break Check, please give us a like and leave a review in the comments. Please consider subscribing in your favorite podcast apps. We really appreciate it. Finally, if you like what we're doing and you want to support us, consider contributing to the podcast. Links will be available on the socials later. Also, we're working on possible merch offerings and we'll have more information soon. So until next time, for Corey Brune, I'm Scott Vick saying keep it off the wall and out of the kitty litter. Ta-ta.